As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Hello, it's Justin Briley, Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, bringing you another edition of the podcast where we bring you the thought and theology of Tom Wright in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Wright Online. It's great to have you with us and it's always lovely to receive encouraging reviews of the programme. Um, here's what Wendy said on our Adam and Eve episode from earlier in the year when Tom talked about Genesis and the way he understands the Adam and Eve story both spiritually and biologically as it were. Um, Wendy said fabulous thank you so helpful to hear Tom's thoughts on Genesis. He does refer to it and to Adam and Eve in a lot of his teaching and I've often struggled with how to connect his detailed historical work with the Genesis story. I worry so much that the Genesis story is often the first put off from Christianity that non-believers encounter and thus won't allow themselves to explore further. Well, I'm glad it has enabled you to think through that and, and helped you, I suppose, in, in presenting Christianity to others, Wendy. Great to have your review of the podcast. Don't forget, you can rate and review the show wherever you're listening from. It helps others to discover the show as well. And you can find out more about the program at our website, askntwrite.com, where you can sign up to ask a question yourself, get our regular newsletter, and of course, be in with a chance to win goodies as well. Uh, so uh, do make sure that you're signed up if you want to be in the running for any competitions. We're going to launch one from next week. So you'll want to make sure your name is in the hat by registering at askntwrite.com. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back to this week's edition of the show. We're talking about parables on the program today. And just before we leap into this, Tom, and we've got questions here from Thomas and Rochelle and Joshua, and if we get time for it, Joe, as well. Um, uh, I- I'm interested to know, obviously, Jesus used parables all the time in the gospels to bring his points across and for his teaching was that a common way of teaching in his day and age um yes and no the 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 rabbis often tell stories to this day if you ask uh, a jewish teacher uh, a, a question on a particular subject they may well respond by once upon a time there was a woman who had two daughters or whatever it was and uh, and if you go back in the rabbinic literature there are uh, lots and lots and lots of delightful stories which end up coming back to something about god and israel and the world and about the people of israel within that and so yes it is a classic Jewish thing. And I think that goes back to the Jewish sense, back all the way back to the Old Testament, that life is about 
a great story and that this great story comes down into lots of little fragmented stories mm. and that in any any of them you can see a glimmer of god's truth uh, and so uh, but we don't have many examples in jesus own day of people doing what he did and he seems to have adapted the tradition to his own particular vocation to be the one who was launching God's kingdom, which is what mm. the parables are mostly all about. Absolutely. Um, Thomas asks, which of Jesus's parables are most misunderstood and which are your favourites? Um, and also another question, which does the West need to heed most? Well, let's take oh, them one at a time. Which, but, which, which, which parables most misunderstood, do you think? Um, well, th these may come up later as well, but um, the, the, the one at the end of Luke 16 about the rich man Lazarus is regularly taken, and it was taken in the Middle Ages and subsequently as a description of life after death. Here is somebody in heaven, in Abraham's bosom. Here is somebody in hell, and never the twain shall meet. And many people have pointed out in olden days as now that actually if it's a parable, um, it's not meant to be a literal description of life after death. And there are several problems about it being a literal description of life after death, but people still read it as such, mm. partly because and the misunderstandings of all the parables occur because of the misunderstanding of the gospel, which says the gospel is about how we get to heaven, instead of saying, as we should, the gospel is about how God brings his life and love to birth on earth as in heaven. And so many of the parables are about that. What does this look like on earth as in heaven? Um, and if we try and turn them around and say, well, they've got heavenly meanings, then we'll misunderstand them all. Mm. Um, another one which does come up later again, again in Luke 16, interestingly, is about the, 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 the uh, unjust steward. Um, the parable of the wicked mammon, so-called. We, we'll get back to that, I think, because it really yes. is quite important. But let, let's do that. Uh, do you have a personal favourite, Tom? Well, oh, goodness. It's like asking, you know, which of <laughs> Beethoven's quartets do I like most and, or, or whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> I love the seed growing secretly. The kingdom of God is like somebody planting a seed and the person goes to bed and gets up and goes to bed and gets up and has no idea what's going on but the seed is germinating and will grow and it's i love the the, the sense of the echo of the person going to bed getting up and not understanding even though the seed is doing exactly the same thing mm. the seed has gone mm -hmm. to bed and it's going to wake up um and so there's all sorts of lovely resonances there but i find that very encouraging myself because there's many things we do in god's service or we hope we're doing in god's service which are like planting a seed which looks as though it's doing nothing at all for, mm. for, for months or years and then a plant mm. comes up maybe not the plant we expected so i that i love that one yes. it's a short one too um Let's let's look at a few people's questions then. Rochelle in Alberta, Canada says in Luke chapter 11, you have the parable of the persistent neighbor. The footnote in my Bible, though, has a very different translation of a phrase in verse eight than the main text. I typically hear this taught as a lesson to keep praying about an issue until God answers. But does he answer that persistent prayer because of your shameless audacity or is it to preserve his good name? My husband has been trying to figure this out. And now he's got me really curious, too. And Rochelle says she loves the podcast. Thank you very much, Rochelle. <laughs> OK, um, so so why why does. Yeah, just just sketch out what you think the parable is is trying to bring across in the end. The yes. Well, um, I think I think it is. 
it is advocating and urging us to what I often think of as, as fairly classic Jewish prayer. Um, uh, you know, if you go to the Psalms, um, you find the psalmist saying, hey, God, wake up. This is a really bad thing that's going on. What are you doing about it? You're supposed to be in charge here. Now, many of us, especially English and Anglican, would never dream of addressing God like that. Um, that's too shameless, too brazen. And Jesus is saying, go right ahead. That's how God wants you to do it. Um, uh, and, and I think of Moses um, when God says after the making of the golden calf, that's it. You take your people off to the promised land. I'm not coming with you. And Moses says, no, they're your people. You brought them out of Egypt. It's your honor that's on the line. So you jolly well are coming. And God says, yeah, you're right, actually. Um, and uh, it's that kind of shamelessness. And the, the Greek word an idea in, in verse eight there, I think mean, means exactly that. The fact that um, the person having woken up the neighbor at midnight or whatever it is, instead of thinking, oh, dear, that was a bit of a social faux pas. No, I'm jolly well going to wake you up because I'm hungry and, and we need we need some help mm. here. Um, Have you so, heard uh, of this this different translation, though, that Rochelle seems I'm to say? I'm not sure which, and, Bible, which Bible. Well, this is what I'm reading. I, I'm reading from the NRSV here, and I, I don't have a footnote around verse eight, which Rochelle's Bible obviously does, where instead of. Um, it, because of your shameless audacity, or in my version, his persistence. Um, yeah. Apparently in Rochelle's, it says to preserve his good name because, you know, to preserve his good name, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. I, have you heard of that ver way of translating? No, I'm puzzled about that. I mean, I'm looking at my own translation here, the uh, <laughs> the New Testament for everyone. Um, and I've just got um, because of your shameless persistence again. Mm. So, I was just going with that tradition. Um, I mean, I've got a dozen different <laughs> modern translations of the Bible here, um, and I, I could check out one or two, but I, I wonder if that translation was a bit worried about shameless persistence yeah, and maybe. wanting, as it were, um, the, 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 for the sake of God's name, it must have meant something like um, mm. because uh, you were almost putting God to shame. Um, and in a sense, I mean, th there, there is that. It is like what Moses says to God. Let me just get another very recent revised translation here, see what they do. Um, it, Moses almost putting God to shame for the sake of his name. You've got to do it. Um, uh, but I don't think that's in the text. I think that's okay. our perhaps cautious interpretation. Um, as with many things, one might be wrong, but the point of the parable, obviously, is jolly well to go on. And right. just because the prayer doesn't seem to have been answered at this point, um, then that doesn't mean you stop. Yeah. Um, the, the, well, the, the revised New Jerusalem Bible simply says, if he doesn't get up and give it to him for friendship's sake, persistence will make yes. him get up and give yes. his friend. I, I think that's a bit... Well, we, we, we can't find the, the alternative yeah. translation, well. Rochelle, in our <laughs> Bibles, but um, I, hope, I hope the general um, sort of thoughts on that have been helpful in some way. <laughs> Joshua is in Edinburgh and he's got another one here um, that uh, you, you mentioned earlier. Um, my question is about the parable of the shrewd and unrighteous manager. Frankly, what is up with it? Says Joshua. I've read many interpretations and just keep getting more and more confused. What does Jesus mean when he says, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Is he suggesting some position for the unrighteous in the new creation? Any light you could shed on this would be helpful. Thank you. Now, just for those who don't know our Bibles back to front, where can we find this? This is Luke chapter 16, um, and it's uh, uh, Luke 16, 1 to 9. Um, uh, though it, it then does get a bit confusing because mm. 
then from verses 10 onwards, there's stuff about money in general, which does seem to look a bit different. I, I, was, I remember once being in a, a church service, actually it was in a college chapel just a few hundred yards from where I'm sitting now, um, where the Old Testament reading in the service was all about um, the, 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 the wickedness of Israel caring about money rather than about the poor, etc. And then the New Testament reading was this one. And uh, somebody came up to me afterwards, quite agitated. Tom, I, I need to know, what on earth was that about? Those two readings seem to go in exactly the opposite direction. And I, I felt her pain. I mean, I sort of, <laughs> yep, I see exactly where you're coming from. Okay, my own personal reminiscences, I remember the first time I ever had to preach on this text, realizing here is a passage right in the middle of Luke's gospel. If I, as a young New Testament scholar, as I then was, haven't got anything to say about it, shame on me. And I went back and ferreted away. The thing is, in Jesus' Jewish world, any story about a business manager and a servant would be a story about God and Israel. And uh, you then have to realize that throughout Luke's gospel, particularly, it's quite explicit. Jesus is warning the people of his day, the Jewish people of his day, that they are in serious danger of being unfaithful to God and that therefore the kingdom of God is being taken away from them and something totally new is going to happen. And so it looks as though Jesus is saying, Jesus is taking for granted his critique of the Judaism of his day, that they are not being the light to the nations, that they are not serving God in the way that God wanted. People get very upset sometimes when I say that, but that does seem to me what Luke and the others actually is, is, is saying. Not every single Jew was wicked because, but the general drift was in exactly the wrong direction. And Jesus is saying that is the way to disaster. In other words, you're the steward, but you're going to be put out of your stewardship. You're no longer going to be the people through whom God is going to be running his world, as it were. And so then what are you going to do? Well, in that context, there may be things which you might otherwise have thought, oh, no, I can't do that because um, my local rabbi says we've got to do this or this and not that or that. But actually, you may need to sit loose to some of that. What comes immediately before this parable, and I think is very significant in Luke, is the parable of the prodigal son where the whole point is that the, that the scribes and the Pharisees are agitated because Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners and all, all the wrong sort of people. And the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son is all about, hey, God is having a party, and he's welcoming all sorts of unlikely people. Get used to it. This your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And that idea of somebody being raised from the dead comes back again at the end of the parable, at the end of Luke 16. So it looks as though it's a way of Jesus saying, look, this is a crisis moment. Israel is being held up to judgment. In this moment, don't think that you can preserve your safety by um, uh, saying we, we've got to keep all the little rules that our, our rabbis have taught us and not have anything to do with these tax collectors and sinners. Maybe we need to make friends where we can, even in unlikely places, because in the great turnaround that is coming, then this is going to be a new world and we'll need all the friends we can get. That seems to me where it's going. So we have to be very careful about 
what in technical terms is the difference between metaphor and metonymy. This is a metaphor about God and Israel. It's not a metonymy. That is to say, we can't take the individual bits of the parable and say, oh, Jesus is encouraging this guy to cheat. In other words, Jesus likes it when we cheat on our paying our bills or whatever it may be. No, it's a vivid metaphor for saying in the great turnaround that's coming, all the little rules and regulations that the Pharisees have invented, they're not actually going to matter. And if I'm making friends with tax collectors and sinners, then maybe you should as well, or something like that. That is the best uh, reading that I can mm. that I can see of it. Mm. I have, of course, written this up at more length in Jesus and the Victory of God, and perhaps <laughs> elsewhere, but that will be the primary place. Yes, and um, obviously your um, For Everyone series uh, obviously sure. deals with all of the parables as you come across them in the Gospels. But um, yes, I suppose I did do that, yes. I have no memory of what I said. I wrote that book <laughs> For Everyone about 20 years ago, so goodness knows what it's about. <laughs> anyway, you, you, and you already really did respond to Joe and Ohio's question, which was about the significance oh. of Lazarus and well, the parable of the rich man. And, and yes. just asking, you know, is it an exact description of the post-mortem state of man before the resurrection quite quite um, and no, and, uh, and yeah it's important to, to just i suppose as you said at the, at the outset we need to be careful not to over interpret the, the parables in that sense yeah uh, absolutely and the 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 trope of abraham's bosom this was regular in some jewish circles as a vague way of talking about abraham's family being gathered to Abraham, uh, obviously prior to the resurrection, this is not a, a, a final state. Um, I heard a sermon just this last Sunday on this, where somebody pointed out that Lazarus is the only person named in a parable. And it's significant because, uh, not because it's a real person, certainly not the Lazarus who lived at Bethany, who Jesus raised from the dead in John 11, but rather because he is a down and out. He is utterly poor. He's destitute. The dogs are licking his sores. And Jesus gives him the dignity of a name. Nobody else in any of the parables True. has the dignity of a name. But this is just in the in the course of telling this story. Uh, and, and there may be significance in uh, Lazarus, Eliazar, um, uh, that God helps, etc. Maybe that he is a sign that God helps or something. So there may be other echoes as well. Mm. But it isn't a description of of, of life after death per se, because as with the prodigal son, as I said, it ends with a very interesting note of resurrection. And here's the thing, uh, it was quite a well-known folktale theme in the culture of the time that somebody realizing the uh, post-mortem consequences of their, of their immorality would then say, uh, please, can you send somebody to warn those back home? And usually in the folktale, the answer is, yes, we better do that. We'll send somebody back and then tell people. But here, Jesus says, says no, it's not like that. Um, because Abraham says to the rich man, they've got Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Oh, no, no, but if somebody went from the dead, they would repent. And then the crunch, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe even if someone were to rise from the dead. Hang on, go fast forward to Luke 24, where Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them all the things concerning himself. Jesus is the one who rises from the dead. And Luke 16 is a warning from Jesus, but then as Luke writes it up for his own day as well, that if they haven't heard Moses and the prophets, well, Jesus is risen from the dead. 
don't assume that that's going to make mm. all the difference you might want mm. it to, because God is doing new things. And those who uh, turn their backs on God and God's ways may not be convinced even so. So the parable has many levels. And it's really our post-medieval culture that has wanted to turn the Gospels into a story about heaven and hell that have seized on it and made it again a metonymy rather than a metaphor. Tom, thank you again for your input on these parables. Uh, it'll make me go back and read some of them afresh. But uh, for now, thanks for being with me and we'll see you next time. Yes, indeed. Thanks for being with us on today's edition of the programme. And next week, Tom will be looking at your questions about Jesus. So look out for that in your podcast feed next week. Don't forget, uh, you can get more from one of our podcast partners, SBCK, Tom's UK publisher, with special deals on Tom's books for podcast listeners. We've got some links to them in the show notes from today's show. But for now, thanks for being with us. And don't forget to check out more from the show at askntwrite.com.